Tonight, a COVID outbreak at the Langley business where staff were vaccinated. And now, vaccine lineups at a Costco. Plus. We don't want to compromise equity, privacy, security. Why vaccine passports may not be the easy ticket to freedom so many want. And. We have to see more action from this government. Conservationists say the NDP has failed old growth forests and now a famous musician lends his voice to the cause. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. A day after we reported staff members at a BC glass plant were given access to priority vaccinations, Fraser Health has declared a COVID-19 outbreak at the facility. 44 employees of Vitrum Glass in Langley have tested positive for the virus so far and contact tracing is underway. Vitrum staff were vaccinated against COVID separately from the province's age priority rollout. Health officials confirm immunizations were provided on site in order to stop transmission at the manufacturing plant. Fraser Health says it's taking an aggressive approach to manage high-risk workplace settings with COVID clusters and outbreaks where staff work in close proximity. And a long lineup outside the Port Coquitlam Costco today. People could be seen queuing outside a staff entrance, then entering with forms in hand. One person leaving noted her arm was a little sore afterwards, but not too bad. When asked about mass vaccinations for employees at the Costco or a potential COVID-19 outbreak, Fraser Health did not respond. Well, just as many B.C. families started spring break, the Surrey School District has announced more school health and safety measures aimed at keeping COVID-19 at bay. But as Nadia Stewart reports, for some staff and parents, one item still remains conspicuously absent from the list of safeguards. Until they get masks, it's, it's not good enough. One week after parents learned of more cases of variants involving Surrey schools and the district is announcing new changes. But Nicole Woodward Hill PAC President Cindy Dalglish says the new measures still don't measure up. I'm really quite frustrated that we do not have a mask mandate here in Surrey specifically, knowing how overcrowded our classrooms are. The list of protocols announced Friday includes three early dismissals so each school's health and safety committee can make adjustments as needed, exploring options around adjusting elementary school start times, and for those who team teach as subject specialists in upper elementary grades, keeping them in their own class as much as possible so they aren't teaching multiple classes. I think teachers are adopting a wait-and-see approach. Matt Westfall with the Surrey Teachers Association says some of the changes are what they've been calling for, but they're awaiting more clarity around exactly how all of the measures will be implemented. He agrees a mask mandate is what's needed. This is an encouraging step that now we're looking at some rules that might be different from one district to another, which is a change from a one-size-fits-all approach for the whole province. But it doesn't go far enough. We still need to see stricter rules for masks in places like Surrey, where we have far greater risk to students and staff. In a tweet Saturday afternoon, the district said an explanatory video would be released on Sunday, outlining the targeted measures. Adding elementary school start times will not change just yet, and there is lots of consultation to come. The rest of the targeted measures will take effect March 29th. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
As more and more British Columbians are inoculated, the debate over vaccine passports or certificates is heating up. The idea is to have governments provide some sort of certification to prove that you've been vaccinated in order to travel or obtain a service. But as Julia Foy found out, business operators are wary about having to enforce such a program. At the Afghan kitchen in South Surrey, trying to enforce public health orders hasn't always been easy. We're having quite a bit of challenge right now enforcing the mask mandate, the safe six rule. As COVID-19 vaccinations ramp up and roll out across the country, discussions are underway about whether the government should issue vaccine certification for those who've had the jab. To make sure that uh, Canada is not left behind if the world embarks on a new requirement for international travel that requires some form of health certification. Surrey's Board of Trade is excited about the idea. Some type of digital health credential uh, to really restart the economy. What that looks like, we don't want to compromise equity, privacy, security, fraudulent activities. But there is concern about how it would be enforced. I don't think it should be up to uh, businesses to mandate that. Many fitness centers also like the idea of a vaccine card, but there are questions. I don't think that it's the role of the fitness industry to necessarily dictate what the consumer needs to provide in order to enter our facilities. You know, it really is our national mandate from the Fitness Industry Council of Canada to get people physically active. That vaccination certificate seems a little bit restrictive and we are very passionate about the mental and physical health of our communities that we're in and we don't want to be restrictive when it comes to that. One expert suggests the government should provide certificates so people can prove they're vaccinated, especially for air travel or international trips. But there are limits. I don't think it's necessarily the role for the government to to make certain individuals or businesses, institutions, you know, accept these or, or to use them in a particular way. Uh, that will probably be just up to civil society to determine on their own. In the meantime, business owners just want to get back to serving customers. We're hoping that uh, we're able to uh, get a lot of people to get vaccinated. Julia Foy, Global News. A section of Commercial Drive was close to traffic overnight as crews took down an unsafe building. The abandoned two-story building on 14th and Commercial was slowly demolished. Police and fire were called in at about 6 o'clock last night when neighbours reported hearing cracking sounds and seeing stucco falling. City engineers assessed the old structure and deemed it unsafe. It's too unsafe to leave up. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the risk of it collapsing is, is great, uh, apparently, to the engineer. This is unique because it's, you know, it's not a burn fire or a burn building. It's, a, it's an actual, you know, possibly a structural collapse, which we still get called for. We still got to make sure the scene is safe. There are calls for changes to BC's driving laws to hold the adults sharing the front seat with learner's license holders more accountable. Kristen Robinson has more on the lack of penalties for supervisors who don't properly supervise and what the government plans to do about it. Along Granville Street's 50K zone, Vancouver police recently stopped an L driver and supervisor clocked at 113 kilometers an hour. The traffic officer involved airing his frustrations on social media. The learner issued an excessive speeding ticket. The vehicle impounded, but zero consequences for the supervisor. No accountability for the supervisor is an oversight 
by the people that actually have purview over legislation. They have to signal mirror and shoulder, and then they under learner's license driving restrictions in BC. Critics say there are qualifications, but no real obligations for the supervisor or driver aged 25 or older with a valid Class 5 license who must sit beside you in the passenger seat. The driver is the only one to be held accountable. Even in crash situations, says driving school owner Steve Wallace. And that, he says, has to change. I think that people who are serving as co-pilots have to have some responsibility. Um, What if a co-pilot told someone to do something that was totally illegal? Uh, Should they be exonerated for that? I don't think so. One criminal lawyer would like to see the Motor Vehicle Act amended to create an offense for supervisors who don't exercise reasonable care and judgment while supervising. It serves the public safety to have supervisors have more of an obligation and to be more accountable for what they're doing when they're in the car with a driver who is defying the law. It's obviously uh, quite concerning. I mean, the the whole idea of having a supervisor in the car with uh, an L driver is to make sure that they are obeying the rules of the road. BC's Solicitor General says his ministry will be looking into what's driving the problem, how widespread it is, and whether a legislative or regulatory change is needed to address the supervisor penalty gap. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A man could be facing charges after a disturbing assault on a woman with disabilities in downtown Vancouver. The woman, who has severe cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair, was panhandling at Abbott and Water Streets in Gastown on Thursday when police say a man attacked her and unleashed a hateful tirade. The victim was able to get to an overdose prevention site nearby where she, was, where she reported the assault to staff and they called police. He did uh, punch her in the face and also say some uh, pretty vulgar and hateful uh, uh, names to her. Uh, The suspect was tracked down by our officers and he was arrested for assault and she is in a wheelchair so she was already in such a vulnerable state. So the fact that this this man preyed on her is quite uh, disturbing. The victim is physically okay. Police have recommended assault charges against the suspect, who is known to police. A Fraser Valley woman who was outraged about her daughter's homework on residential schools led a march in Abbotsford today, drawing attention to missing and murdered Indigenous women. Cynthia Audie, 27, missing. Crystal Saunders, 24, murdered. Krista McInnes led the walk through Mill Lake Park this afternoon. She points to the recent murder of 28-year-old Jana Williams as the latest in an ongoing national tragedy. Her remains were found on March 4th on the edge of the Red River in Winnipeg. She was six months pregnant with her third child. Today's march was part of a national campaign to mark the issue, make the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women a priority for all governments. There's no room for racism anymore in our world. There isn't. There's no more room for oppression and stereotypes. We're coming into a dawning of an age where people are standing up and they're going, this isn't right. In November, McInnes went public after her daughter received a homework assignment asking her to list positive aspects of the residential school system. That led to apologies from the Abbotsford School District, the principal and the teacher. A protest blockade on a Vancouver rail line was shut down by police overnight. Protesters and police clashed as officers moved in. 
A couple of demonstrators were pinned to the ground. Others were cuffed and walked away. First Nations and environmental protesters had set up a tent on tracks behind the SkyTrain station on Grandview, on Renfrew and Grandview Highway. They were showing solidarity against the construction of a new route for the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline from Alberta to Wisconsin. Vancouver police say after several hours of protesting, they were directed to leave given an existing court, given an existing court injunction. And the VPD say two people were arrested, including a 21-year-old woman who allegedly spat at officers. A second person was arrested for breach of peace. An environmental group has issued a report card on the NDP government's promise to manage and protect old-growth forests in B.C. Paul Johnson has more on the failing grades and the Canadian musician now lending his voice to an ongoing blockade. The fight over the status of BC's remaining stands of ancient forest turned up another notch this week. Six months after the NDP government's election promise to protect a meaningful amount of old growth, conservationists are now saying they think that was mostly campaign spin. The vast majority of the last endangered old growth forest remains open to logging. Jens Weeding is the forest campaigner for the Sierra Club of BC who issued a so-called report card on the government's progress, a D and four Fs. Failing grades from a moderate group like Sierra Club is probably not what the BC NDP was hoping for. It's not good enough for our children who will ask us, what have you done when there was only 3% of old growth with very big trees left? BC's Minister of Force told Global News that they're working hard to put in place a new approach, but a moratorium on further logging of ancient forests would risk thousands of good family-supporting jobs. But Victoria is still likely headed for a confrontation with activists this spring. Several dozen have been blocking access to an imminent clear-cut of a stand of ancient forest on Vancouver Island at Ferry Creek. The logging company has gone to court for an injunction to have them arrested, but they're not backing down. And they just got a shout-out from this well-known conservationist. If a tree falls in the forest, does anybody hear? Bruce Coburn reached out to the blockaders this week and gave them permission to use his well-known song about forest activism. He also reacted to news that the company that wants to log here, Surrey's Teal Jones, uses some of their wood to supply the guitar manufacturing business. Coburn told Global News, guitar tops can be made from other woods. Leave the trees alone. Paul Johnson, Global News. The Alberta government's energy war room says a Netflix children's movie inaccurately portrays the oil industry. The Canadian Energy Centre says more than 1,000 people have sent a letter to Netflix Canada letting it know the animated film comes across as propaganda. Bigfoot Family debuted on the service earlier this year. The movie is about the son of, the mythical, of a mythical creature who fights an oil company. The characters take on an evil oil tycoon who wants to explode a fictional place named Rocky Valley for its oil. Well, the Energy Center says the movie villainizes energy workers and tells lies about the oil industry. The community is rallying around a Coquitlam search and rescue volunteer whose puppy was snatched by a cougar this week. In just over a day, a GoFundMe page for Isaac Heisler has raised nearly $12,000.
On Thursday evening, Heisler was walking his German Shepherd puppy on a leash near Belcara Park when a uh, cougar pounced and took off with little Diaz. Heisler, who is also a Sasmat volunteer firefighter, had only had the puppy for a few days and was planning to train him as a search and rescue dog. Money from the fundraiser will go to acquiring a new dog for Heisler to train. A Penticton woman is bravely sharing her story about how she was tricked into handing over thousands of dollars over the phone. As Darian Matassa Fung reports, she hopes by speaking out, others won't fall victim to the same scam. The feeling of violation is still with me. A Penticton grandmother was tricked into giving a scammer $3,000 over the phone after she opened an email that she thought was legitimate. I checked my messages on my phone and I saw that there was a message on there and it said Geek Squad, um, that it was an invoice and within 24 hours there would be $299.99 being um, charged on my, on my MasterCard. The email, which was clearly not from Best Buy's Geek Squad, led Deborah Cochran to make a phone call using a number that was provided in the fraudulent email. She then granted the scammer access to her computer. The next thing Cochrane knew, the scammer told her that he accidentally deposited $3,000 into her bank account and that she needed to pay him back. He said, um, yeah, this will cost me my job like if we don't get this fixed. And so then I was just like, oh my goodness, like I don't want anyone to lose a job over this. Cochrane was then instructed to drive to the nearest Best Buy to buy five $500 gift cards to pay the man back which she then verbally handed over to the scammer over the phone. And he kept me on the phone from the time I left my home to go to the bank. He said, don't talk to anybody. So I felt really threatened. I didn't know if this person was across the street, my neighbor, like I had no idea. Cochran, who is a frontline healthcare worker, says the incident has left her shaken. She had to redo all of her online security from the ground up, including new bank accounts, emails, and wiping her computer. I actually was in my living room and I got up and I shut all my curtains, I shut all my blinds and I just cried. And I went, oh my God, it's rent time. I've got bank payments coming out. Um, it was a good thing I had a paycheck coming up. The grandmother of five wants to share her story to hopefully protect others that may find themselves in a similar situation. Penticton RCMP did not respond in time for broadcasts. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Penticton. A new Westminster branch of a money lending company was targeted by protesters today. Shame on you, money march! Members of Acorn Canada, which represents low-income families, demonstrated outside a money mart this morning. Acorn recently conducted a survey. It found 13% of respondents have taken out 10 loans in the last 20 months, and 12% believe they were misled or were never informed about optional products such as insurance until a large sum was debited from their accounts. They, along with the NDP MP for New Westminster Burnaby, have called on the federal government to push for greater regulation in high interest loans. This has to end. That's why I tabled my private member's bill to end the, this predatory lending so that the interest rate is uh, actually inscribed in the criminal code and we can't see these kinds of abuses happening anymore. Global News reached out to Money Mart for comment, but we have not yet received a response.
a pop-up celebration in New York's Times Square by Broadway performers. The event reunited stars exactly one year since the pandemic shut down theaters. Many Broadway workers have been out of work ever since. There is still no clear timeline as to when theaters will reopen. For the second time in less than a month, tens of thousands of Canadians cannot access their CRA accounts. The tax agency has locked more than 800,000 online accounts because login information and passwords may have been obtained by unauthorized individuals. Global's chief political correspondent David Aiken has been looking into the security concerns and what you need to know. The online accounts were locked overnight, usernames and passwords revoked by the Canada Revenue Agency in what the CRA called a preventative measure aimed at stifling attempted identity theft or online fraud. Saturday's move comes nearly a month after an unspecified number of accounts were locked after an internal CRA analysis revealed some credentials such as user IDs and passwords may have been compromised, possibly even obtained by an unauthorized third party. The CRA said it has already started to contact users with instructions to reactivate accounts. That said, impacted users can still log in using their bank or users can create a new user account. And consumers can still file tax returns using the CRA's online net file service. But until those accounts are reactivated, locked-out consumers will not be able to manage direct deposit info, change addresses, or sign up for some federal government benefits. The government, meanwhile, is coming under fire for not moving quickly to reactivate accounts of those locked out a month ago and for moving too slowly to help victims of fraudulent activity on their CRA accounts. In the House of Commons Friday, the Liberals promised no consumer would face any financial losses. Uh, the Canadian Revenue Agency takes the protection of taxpayer information very seriously. We have put in place robust safeguards in place to identify fraudulent emergency and recovery claims. We will work with the victims of fraud and they will not be held responsible for any money paid out to scammers using their identity. The CRA is also warning that account lockouts and other preventative measures are not isolated incidents and may become ever more frequent to safeguard taxpayers' information. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Hundreds gathered today at a vigil in a London park, including the Duchess of Cambridge, in tribute to a murdered woman. A maskless Kate Middleton joined mourners at Clapham Common Memorial to pay respects to Sarah Everett and her family. 33-year-old Everett went missing after walking home from, with, from a friend's house in South London the night of March 3rd. Her remains were found on Wednesday, hidden in a wooded area 80 kilometres away in southeast London, England that is. A London police officer, Wayne Cousins, is charged with her kidnapping and murder. He appeared in court today, but a full court hearing is scheduled for Tuesday. Everard's murder has prompted an outpouring of grief and outrage on social media that women aren't safe when walking alone on the streets. Later in the evening, several people were arrested during the vigil. Police had warned the gathering breached COVID-19 restrictions. Officers are being accused of having a heavy-handed response. 
Amazon Canada says it will appeal the temporary closure of its plant in Brampton, Ontario, because of a COVID-19 outbreak. The region's health authority ordered the shutdown yesterday. Nearly 5,000 employees are now required to self-isolate for 14 days. Since October, there have been 617 cases at the facility. But the worry is that 40% of them were detected in the last couple of weeks. That includes cases involving variants of concern. As vaccine programs kick into high gear, many Canadians have been rolling up their sleeves. In most regions in Ontario, the vaccine rollout is now open to people 80 years and older. And in Toronto today, a very special person joined the lineup. Phyllis Ridgway is the oldest living person on record in Canada. She turned 114 on Wednesday. She still lives in her own home, so this was her earliest shot at getting the shot. Vaccine done. Woo! Oh my goodness, I just can't, I'll never get over it. <laughs> it was wonderful. Like so many other families, hers can't wait to hug their vulnerable loved one. Phyllis's advice to others, get the vaccine. Seattle is now home to the largest civilian-led vaccination site in the U.S. The MAX vaccination site opened today at the Lumen Field Event Center. Officials say the site will initially vaccinate around 5,000 people per week, but could eventually handle 150,000 per week. That's 22,000 vaccinations a day. In Health Matters tonight, a trend that's not likely to change. A new study in the journal Human Reproduction finds more twins are being born in the world than ever before. Since the 1980s, more than a million twins have been born each year. Globally, it's, and it's due in part to in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination and delays in childbearing. Suffering a head injury in your 50s or younger may have long-term effects on your brain health. Researchers in the UK found those patients scored lower than expected on cognitive tests years after the trauma, leaving them more vulnerable to dementia. Historic rain is battering Hawaii this week with destructive results. Have a look. A landslide on Kauai's north shore has cut off access to Hanalei. No one can get in or out after a wall of mud came roaring down the mountainside. Crews haven't been able to fully access the, or assess the extent of the damage due to the instability of the hillside. Officials have advised trapped residents to shelter in place. Officials are also estimating it could take three months for the highway to fully reopen. And this was the scene in Beaver, Utah on Friday. Several vehicles and semi-trucks crashed and slid off an interstate because of snow and ice. Lanes of traffic were forced to close while crews worked to clear the vehicles. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries. And then there's this. A tornado forms right in front of a man in Texas. How this one turns out, we'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. Yvonne, it was a beautiful day here on the South Coast. It was pleasant out there. Temperatures were mild. We were into the double digits in many spots in the interior as well. Aww. And also capturing the crocuses, this one in Abbotsford. So thank you so much, Cindy. It's feeling more spring and summer-like, and we are also going to see a bit of a blip in the forecast for tomorrow, and I'll have more in just a moment. Some of the other numbers today. Lillooet getting up to 16 degrees. Areas near Soyuz topping out at 14. Double digits for areas near Kamloops. A reminder this evening, we are going to spring ahead and we'll see uh, uh, the sunset 
even later for tomorrow, just after 7 o'clock. Right now, we're sitting at 9. We've got a southeasterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. This evening, sunset just after 6. Tomorrow, it'll be at 7.16. And over the next few weeks, we've got longer days. Um, so something to look forward to. Now, for the northern half of the province, we've had a lot of active weather. We are still seeing some watches and warnings that are in effect. The central coast, especially with very windy conditions. We're tracking this frontal system, and we've had two different weather pictures today. For the northern half, it's been snow, and along the south, we've had plenty of sunshine. Now, as the system starts to sink its way, we are going to see the effects of it along the south coast. And a heads up for a few spots across the island, overnight and leading into the morning hours, we could see some flurries for higher elevations, then changing over to rain. Metro Vancouver will start to see some rain developing tomorrow morning, continuing for the afternoon, should start to ease off late in the afternoon. Weather picture, this in Prince Rupert today. So thank you so much, Tom, for sending us in this great video. And we did have a significant amount of rain for areas near Kitimat, uh, over 87 millimeters, and there's still an additional 10 and up to 15 millimeters. The wind's still picking up along the central coast to potentially up to 90 kilometers per hour, and then all areas along both the north and central coast will start to see a bit of a break as we get in late towards this evening. Now, the northern half of the province tomorrow morning will still see a few flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. The rain starts to pick up and heavy at times in the morning across the central interior, and the southern interior will have a dry start to the morning. The precipitation starts to fall, but it'll be late towards the evening. Higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. It'll be Sunday night into the early morning hours on Monday that we'll see some accumulating snowfall between two and up to four centimeters. South coast, it's higher elevations, especially along the island, could see some flurries and then changing over to rain. We've got a blip in the forecast for tomorrow. It starts to clear as we get in towards the evening and then Monday onwards we'll be rebounding and then back into some sunshine once again. A reminder, tomorrow morning or this evening before you go to bed, set your clock one hour ahead. Spring forward. Spring forward. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. A storm chaser came dangerously close to a tornado in West Texas on Friday when it formed right in front of him. Have a look at this. Oh, right there. Yes, it is. The tornado at first appeared to be moving towards the house, then the shed, and the storm chaser. Fortunately, it turned and moved in the other direction, a sign of how unpredictable tornadoes are. There were no reports of injuries, but someone may need to buy some new farm equipment. For many, marijuana is a simple alternative to prescription drugs or alcohol. More than half of cannabis users in Canada reported upping their consumption during the first wave of the pandemic. Alexa Kupralos looks at the reasons why and how usage has now changed and what that could mean going forward. According to a study by the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, 52% of existing cannabis users in Canada reported an increase in consumption during the first wave of the pandemic. An increase the study's senior author, Tara Elton-Marshall, calls expected. I know that some recent data has come out showing that people are just as anxious and depressed as ever right now. The study found higher usage rates among Ontarians, individuals with lower education levels, and those who reported concerns with personal finances. Statistics Canada data shows the country's cannabis retail sales were highest in December 2020, but this doesn't take into account homegrown cannabis or cannabis sold illegally. Carmen Stiller of Uxbridge, Ontario, works in the cannabis industry. 
They say they've seen an increase in the amount of cannabis purchased, but returning clients are also visiting the store more often. Those large THC value products are just absolutely flying off the shelves, and especially in the early stages of the pandemic, because people were so interested in finding something that would just take them away from their everyday. But Stiller says that's changed. Now people are saying, okay, how can cannabis enhance my daily life instead of taking me away from it? Dr. Gabriela Gobi, a psychiatrist at Montreal's McGill University Health Centre, warns users should consider the negative side effects of cannabis if consumed in large quantities over a long period. Cannabis in the long term can be also associated, especially young people, to the risk of developing depression, a major depression episode. People are starting to develop these habits over time where they might think, well, it's okay because it's only temporary during the pandemic. But the concern is that this continues on even after the pandemic. What exactly the short-term and long-term impacts are of this increased cannabis use during the pandemic remains to be seen. Elton Marshall believes the data should be monitored. Alexia Kapralos, Global News. I was talking about that promo. It's like, why is Christy cooking? Where are those barbecued ribs? I've never seen Christy cook. (laughs) It's all an illusion, Barry. Speaking of illusions, you've got Canucks news. Yeah, well, the Canucks will have to somehow uh, contain Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl tonight at Rogers Arena if they want to have any chance to get back in the win column against the Oilers. McDavid and Dreisaitl are 1-2 in NHL scoring. McDavid has 51 points, Dreisaitl 44. Canucks are coming off a stinker against the Habs the other night, but are trying to forget about that one fast and return to the style that's given them a decent success the past month or so. Sometimes you're going to play a bad game, just kind of how it is. Uh, I've done a lot of good things in the last little while here. I'm starting to put some wins on the board. It's not the way that we wanted to end that homestand or the the series against Montreal. But um, I don't know. It's, you know, we're trying to make sure we bring our, you know, bring a good game to the table every night. We don't have time to take games off. We understand that. Um, But we're just trying to focus on the immediate future, and that's playing a good game today. It's a very important game for us. I think when our execution is off, we tend to look like a slower team. And some might say we don't look urgent. Uh, The guys definitely wanted to win last game. They didn't play very well. Uh, They've been playing very good hockey for a while now, for probably the last 15, 16 games where we weren't happy with the start of our year or some of our games. And we need a response tonight. NHL tonight, Matthew Kachuk in the Flames taking on Brendan Gallagher in the Habs from Calgary. These are the two teams that Canucks must catch for the playoffs. First period, Sean Monaghan turns and fires. Top glove pass, Carey Price. Great goal. That's his 200th of his NHL career. And Calgary dominated the first. And it's Monaghan again banging in the rebound on the power play. 2-0 Calgary after one. They outshot the Habs 16-6. The Flames playing much stingier defensively under Daryl Sutter. Second period, Andrew Mangiapane with the hard work. Finds Michael Backlund for the quick release. 3-0 Flames. 3-1 the final. Daryl Sutter now 2-0 as Flames head coach as they win again. Jets and Leafs from Toronto. Two of the top three teams in the North Division. Second period, 1-0 Jets. Leafs tie it while shorthanded. Mitch Marner hits the late man defenseman Jake Muzzin who rips it past 
Laurent Brassois, the Vancouver Island kid. It's 1-1. Now 2-1 Leafs, but Mark Scheifele with the wrister. Nice deflection here by Paul Stashney, his ninth. 2-2 after two. And then early third, Mason Appleton from behind the net to Adam Lowry. Slides it through Freddie Anderson. And the Jets have built on that lead now 5-2 very late in the third period. Well, it's been a long wait for 15-year-old sensation Connor Bedard of North Vancouver. He was the first player in the Western Hockey League to be given exceptional status to play full-time as a 15-year-old. But of course, with COVID, his WHL debut was delayed. But some six months later, Bedard finally made his Western League debut with the Regina Pats. And like all the great ones, the kid sure knows how to make an entrance. Bedard behind his net to pick it up. The center ice. Nice move to gain the line, right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bernard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. Of course, a dazzling first-ever Western League goal for the Pats, but he wasn't done yet. 48 seconds later, Snipes is second. All those hours of practice in the backyard in his especially made shooting gallery playing dividends. Bedard also had a game-high seven shots. An amazing debut for Connor. We expect to see a lot more from him. Third round of the Players' Championship from Florida. Canadian content to start. Ontario's Corey Connors with the short birdie putt. Even par today, tied for 22nd at four under. Adam Hadwin is tied 36th at minus two. And Nick Taylor tied 55th at even. Justin Thomas was the big mover on moving day. Started seven off the lead, but shot the lights out. Second shot at the 10th. Almost holes out for the eagle. A tap in birdie. Five under for the day, and he was not done. Second shot at the par 5 16th from 204, and he hits another perfect approach. This one has a chance to go in for the albatross, the rarest of birds in golf. Just inches short, tap in eagle, 8 under 64 for Thomas, zooms all the way into third. Bryson DeChambeau won last week at the Arnold Palmer, right in the thick of it again. His approach at 10. To within four feet, he would make that for the birdie, and DeChambeau would take over the solo lead. 36-hole leader Lee Westwood of England, nine straight pars on the front, fell two back of the lead, but kick-started his round at the 10th as well. 12-footer for birdie for Westwood. Young American Doug Gim contended last week at the Arnold Palmer, but blew up in the final round. Back for more this week in his first player's appearance, Gim Sticking it close here at the very tough 14th, a rare birdie there. He is tied for third with Justin Thomas at 10 under par. Back to DeChambeau at the finishing hole, the 18th, 15 feet left for par. And he knocks it in. His short game and putting overshadowed by the big bombs off the tee, but he's got game in all areas, post minus 11. But Lee Westwood with a little separation, thanks to a birdie at 16, then at 17, slippery downhiller, 25 feet in the heart. Big roar from the gallery, bogey-free, 4-under 68 for Westwood. He's at 13-under, a two-shot lead on DeChambeau. They'll play in the final group for the second straight Sunday. Of course, DeChambeau won last week at the Arnold Palmer. NBA tonight, Raptors and Hornets. Toronto still without three big starters, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Anunoby for a couple more games because of COVID and understaffed and really over uh, shadowed today. Wraps off to the bad start. Hornets shots the lights out. 
11 threes in the first quarter alone, the most the Raps have ever allowed in one quarter. 44-24 Charlotte after one. Raptors did cut into the lead into the second. The veteran Kyle Lowry with the drive. It was 67-52 at the half, but Charlotte had led by as many as 25. But in the third, Hornets extend the lead again. LaMelo Ball, the consensus rookie of the year with the deep three. He's only 19. Charlotte made 21 threes, 114-104 the final. Four straight losses for the Raps. And Briar from Calgary, playoff pool matchup between Canada's Brad Gushu and Ontario's Glenn Howard, one of the wildcard teams. 36 Briar appearances and six titles between these two ranks. Still going strong, obviously. Gushu gets the upper hand this time, wins at 6-3. Only three of the top eight make tomorrow's playoffs. Kevin Cooey leads at 9-2 and two right now, but four are tied at 8-3. and three. And a sad note from boxing, marvelous Marvin Hagler, one of the great middleweights, had those great fights against Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard in the 80s, has passed away at age 66. Wow. Colleen, back to you. Too young. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bear. This next story begs the question, what would you do for your dog? A freak accident on a mountain in Park City, Utah, left a dog's life hanging in the balance and his owner scrambling to save him. And a warning, we have blurred some of the graphic images in this story. Utah's backcountry can be the ultimate adventure. We were 10-420, which is a pretty famous peak, you know, in Park City. But don't blame Barron. If he'd just as soon back away. <laughs> Baron, it's okay. <laughs> and stay safely at home. I'd say most days are pretty good days for him, except Saturday. Saturday tested the adventure hound's mettle after a mishap that started when a skier fell. Baron ran back to check on her, and then the other, the other guy came and uh, didn't see him, and they just collided. Skis have sharp edges, right? And it just it cut him. And after about two or three steps, the blood started gushing, and that's when I knew we had kind of a, kind of a problem. Christian Schaff says his dog was in dire need of medical attention, with none anywhere close. This is what saved us the other day. A kit Schaff's company makes to help people out in the wild. This is the one I used, so. May have made a wild difference for Baron. I kind of made a makeshift tourniquet out of duct tape and a, and a stick, uh, wrapped the bandage the best I could, put him on my shoulders, and started skiing down. The dog made it, just in time. Got to the vet, and they, they thought he probably had minutes before he was gone. Schaff couldn't have guessed his own kits would one day make a difference for one of his own. We used the zip ties, we used some gauze, we used a bunch of different stuff in here just to, to slow the bleeding down and, and to get him down the mountain. Never thought I'd use it on him, but that's what worked. Right? The scent of adventure will always call the Baron. He's by my side 24-7. But next time, it'd be understandable if he thought twice about roughing it. It's just good to be prepared, you know, just to, just to have the stuff with in case. Aw, what a sweet story. Good ending. And it helps to have an owner who can carry a big dog like yeah, that. And, and exactly, and pull a MacGyver move mm-hmm. like yes. that. It's amazing. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11. And a reminder to set your clocks one hour ahead when you go to bed tonight. Coming up next, Global News speaks with the scientists who discovered how one of the most dangerous variants evolved in a COVID-19 patient over a period of 100 days. The new reality is next. Good night.